When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. And we're back with an all-new bonus episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. And I'm Louis Vertel. And we have got an icon, a legend, the moment, the moment for decades at this point. Uh, we created a bonus episode just for her, Patti LuPone. I mean, a staggering interviewee just anyway. We could have gone a million ways interviewing her. We could have talked just about Evita alone. Yeah, I want to know about that Tony's performance. She is going in. She gets that whole song out in 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and now she's going to be performing at the Hollywood Bowl with Sutton Foster. Imagine not seeing that. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to see it. Yeah, I'm a flyback for that shit. Mm-hmm. You think she'll get us You think she'll get us tickets? Uh, that would be nice of her. I believe we made a nice impression. But yeah. You know what you're going to get during that show, dueling Reno Sweeney's. I mean, how amazing is that going to be? A little anything, go- anything goes on and on and on. Baby, if if they both do the tap number. Uh, oh, I'm crying. And as you know, I've never cried before. Oh. So, my first time. I wonder what that'll be like. You're like a country singer who is never loved by her daddy. And maybe she's a <laughs> bit of an alcoholic. And she's never really written her own music. But one day she writes her own song when her husband leaves her after dying in a car crash as well. Uh, <laughs> and then you cry and the tears drop on your guitar. Are you saving this accent for your Joe Turner's Come and Gone audition? What is this? <laughs> I'm shining like new money, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there really isn't much more to say besides we've got Patty fucking Lupone on Keep It. Um, so we'll be right back with our Patty interview. I would like to propose a toast to our guest today. She has Tonys, she has Grammys, she has a voice that will make you feel every emotion on the spectrum. You already know who she is. You can catch her next in the hypnotic and heart-stopping Ari Aster film, Boat is Afraid. Please welcome to Keep It, the iconic Patti LuPone. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here. Um, truly just one of my favorite performers in, obviously, theater. I've seen, I've been able, I've been lucky to see um, so many of your roles and um, in film and TV as well. You're so captivating. And then this film, particularly, um, it's not a horror film like the rest of Ari's films, but when you step into it, things get a little scary. You're You're so arresting. Uh, in this film, and I just have to wonder um, what drew you to this? Did you know Ari Aster before? Did he specifically look for you for this role? Well, I didn't know Ari before. I got a telephone call from my manager to set up a Zoom with Ari, and I went, I don't know who he is, and my kid said, this is the man, Mom, this is the man. (laughs) 
And um, then I wondered why he wanted to see me. Was he a musical theater queen? What was going on? (laughs) (laughs) And so I asked the question. I said, Ari, why me? And he came and, and his answer just blew my mind. He said he saw me in a David Mamet play called The Anarchist on Broadway, which lasted mm. two weeks, by the way. He's friends with Clara Mamet. He knows David very well. So he came to see the play. And he said he talked about me for a week afterwards, how I handled the Mamet language. Well, I cut my teeth on David. I've, I've worked with David since 1976. So I was thrilled that Ari came to me through that, um, mm. the, that avenue. Um, and I actually wrote to David afterwards that the, thanks for giving me the for getting me the part. Um, and I'm sure that the language was crucial. My comprehension or my 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 delivery of language was crucial for Ari because of the monologue that I have in um, the movie. Um, then, you know, working on it was just a joy. Uh, 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 working on it with both Ari and and Joaquin. We were on night shoots. It was the three of us. And um, a wonderful thing happened. Um, It was serendipity. I don't know Joaquin. I know his work, but I don't know the man. That's a very intense scene. And we were in the mornings when we all woke up after, you know, shooting at night. I would have a French press with coffee and I'd go out on our little balconies that were facing this river. I mean, this lake. And I would we bond over coffee. I would be in my nightgown. Everybody was in their pajamas and we would just talk to each other as people. And it really helped break any kind of barrier we might've had Joaquin and I might've had because we didn't know each other. So that when we got to that scene, it was easy because we saw each other as people. We saw each other as human beings. Most often in film, it's how do you do it? Patty, how do you do it? Joaquin. And then you go at it. And this gave us an opportunity to see each other as people. How does this, I mean, this movie has been described this way several times in the press, but how does this surreal odyssey read on the page? I mean, when you're reading the script, are you like, oh, I of course get what we're going to see in the final product because I do not believe I would. So was it, did Ari need to like convey his vision to you very specifically in, uh, in order for you to understand even what was going on? That as well. It reads exactly as that odyssey, that surreal odyssey, but he did need to explain it as well to me. Um, and I'm glad he did. I mean, because there's so many layers to this story that it takes more than one viewing to catch them. And he actually had to tell me, I went, oh, how come I missed that? Well, maybe I'm a stupid reader, but I missed a lot in the reading and I read it maybe three times and I still missed stuff. So he's, a, he's his mind, actually, the, when we when we had our first session in Montreal, because that's where we shot it, to discuss my character at the end of it. And, you know, the, the film at the end of it, I just looked at him and I said, does your brain hurt <laughs> all the time? <laughs> but it reads that way. I mean, he's such a specific writer. He's such a good writer that it actually reads what you're seeing on camera. It reads that way. It was just all of the subtleties that I missed. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an interesting question then about reading a script, you know, for a new, um, you know, a play or uh, a new musical. You know, I mean, you said you've worked with Mamet um, and you cut your teeth on Mamet, you know, and so you really got used to, 
you know, mastering language and seeing, you know, what was on the page and how to bring it to the stage. But, you know, um, you've worked with, you know, Mamet and you know, Sondheim and um, Andrew Lloyd Webber and, you know, like these people who have such big characters, big monologues, big moments, you know, um, how do you prepare for reading something that needs to be translated to the stage? Uh, and do you find that you can tell you know, from new writers when you read something, whether or not they're going to have, you know, um, a mastery of that language like some of the other people you've worked with? Yeah, I, I, it's all about the word for me. It's all about it's all about what's on the page. You know, I start with the script first. I start with the idea. And hopefully, if I hopefully I understand it, hopefully it's well written enough or as complicated as, as Ari or Mamet. Um, a lot of times, I mean, the anarchist I had to read several times to understand it. Um, but I always go back to the script. I always go back to the word and I always try to make sense of the point in each sentence, the point in each paragraph, the point in the idea that, he, that each playwright is trying to convey. Um, the same thing with song. I always go to the word to make sense of the story. And there, um, what's the name of the guy that wrote, um, oh God, Ain't No more. What is the name of the playwright? Oh, Jordan E. Cooper. Oh my God. That is an amazing talent that mm -hmm. should have run. I don't know, you know, and I, I would love to find this guy and tell him he's got to be careful the next time he picks his producer that should have run. The writing <laughs> of the show was fantastic. Mm. It was disturbing. It was hysterical. He was brilliant in it. And he is a young writer. He knows what he's doing. And he knows to get the idea on the page so that the actor can get the idea to the audience. That was the one of the, the other one was cost of living for me. The two plays for me on Broadway this season was the mm -hmm. ones that I've cost of living and ain't no more where I went holy Toledo, but ain't no more was I, I came out of there so mad that it was closing and so grateful that I saw it. And, and it was so present. I mean, his writing is so clear. You know, that, you know, sometimes, well, I don't want to say any more than that because, because Ari is, is a complicated playwright, Ari, a screenwriter. And it, there's some things you have to take home and you have to digest. And there are some things that, that are presented to you that, that, that are clear enough or, or, or the idea is clear enough and that's the way they want it. But that kid is fantastic. Did I answer the question? You did. You did. No. And I think that is, uh, when, when, when you're a writer, you know, you really hope that you convey not just your message to the audience, but also first and foremost, the actors who have to read your words. Because yeah, if they exactly. don't get it, um, no one else will. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about just the many pleasures of your p work in particular. And I think one of my favorite things that you do, you're the kind of person who gets praised, you know, mostly for her incredible belt, but I love when you have to handle, and this is in song or not, fast dialogue and a lot of dialogue there's something like oh good somebody wrote something for patty that's as sharp and as she is you know that like gave her you know a lot to chew on so to speak and i was wondering do you have your a favorite particular chunk of fast wordy dialogue you've ever had to uh spout and is that does that kind of stuff come easy for you when it's a big chunk of words uh, no, I don't think it comes easy for anybody because of the, you know, the enunciation, the the this very specific. An audience has to understand it. I have a Juilliard I was given by, I, I must have been Edith Skinner, give me the gift of a grip top sock. 
a clip <laughs> top sock, which is my vocalese before I go on stage. You know, I'll, I vocalize, but then I get the articulators going and I do two, another hundred people I sing and a song, If You Hadn't But You Did by Julie Stein, um, which is rapid rapid fire singing in, inside of notes. I mean, uh, words inside of notes, which is harder than just speaking. Um, and so I love singing that. And it takes a long time for me to get my tongue and my lips around those words, but I do them as articulators before I sing. Um, I do metal arc is another one where the, where it's rapid, uh, rapid um, words inside of a, a, a relative, relatively fast song. Um, Steven writes a lot of those. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fun to, to, to conquer, but they take work. They take a lot of work so that the audience hears it. It's not enough that I can do it. It's, I have to be extra, um, articulated so an audience hears it on the first shot mm-hmm. um you talk a bit you talked a bit about even seeing going to see uh cost of living and ain't no more and i have to wonder for someone who's done um theater for so long um what pleasures do you take in still seeing shows you know and going through the whole process of um I'm leaving my home and I'm going to see something um, or even, you know, if you're working on something too, um, how hard is it, you know, to then go and see something um, that you hear is really exciting and you want to see before it closes. You know, it's all about, it's all about joy. You know what I mean? It's, it's, an, it's all about that. I've, I have theatrical memories that, that, that I treasure. Um, the last preview of a chorus line at the Newman um, at the public, the one of the last previews of Hamilton at that same theater at the public theater, um, Peter Brooks, a Midsummer Night's Dream and Murat Saad, um, the entire eight hours of Nicholas Nickleby uh, with the RSC. Um, those things will, they'll, they'll never leave my, my body. They're great theatrical experiences. So when that happens, I just want to go in there and sit down in that seat. And when the lights go out, be trans transported to the stage, to that environment, to wherever it's going to take me. And that, of course, will depend on the actors on the stage and the, and the material. And when it's confident, when everybody knows what they're doing, there's nothing better than live theater. So, you know, when you all of a sudden you're on the street and you go, oh, oh, I'm on the street. Oh, oh, uh, that just happened. <clears throat> and and, it, and, and it, it happens a lot. And then, of course, it doesn't happen a lot because some... Um, the theater isn't good enough, but that's, you know, you don't go in going, I don't go in critical. I go in hoping for that experience that I will have a theatrical experience. Um, and more often than not, I'll have it. I had it at the national. Um, I've, I've had it several times where the theater is just really, really good. Just really good. The performance are good. The story is good. The sets are good. The costumes are good. The audience is behaving. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm reading about the bodyguard now in London where people are pissing in their seats. It's like, <laughs> what the hell's going on? What's going on? It's crazy. Yeah, anyway, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> so, I just want to say, speaking of that, by the way, obviously you famously uh, have yelled at audience members for t- uh, having their phones out, whatever. Now, to me, in retrospect, if you hadn't done that, 
that we would have no landmark moment where someone just said, this is fucking rude. Like now it feels like actors are going to have to do what you did for like the rest of time in order to even make a slight dent in this extreme rudeness problem. I think audiences are behaving better now. And I think audiences are becoming vigilantes as well because it's only one person. Right. Disrupting the entire event. And people buy tickets to have an experience. So they're angry that their experience is being compromised by one selfish person. And there's lots of people that have stopped shows. It's just that, I don't know, I am my middle name is Controversy. So <laughs> I'm the one. <laughs> I'm the one that sort of sets the standard for for behavior that people are talking about. But, you know, lots of people have stopped shows and you just never hear about it. But what also audiences don't know is how many times that there's a protocol we follow backstage where if you see a camera or if you see somebody on a phone, you go to stage management. Stage management calls house management. House management sends an usher down. People don't know how many times that occurs on a nightly basis before actors stop a show. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to know what was happening in Death of a Salesman with Wendell Pearson, that woman coming downstairs, shaking her fist at him. What the hell was that? <laughs> and he had to go, I went all my life for this. I'll give you the money. Get out of the theater. What was that? What gave that person the right to think she could come downstage and stop a show? I just don't. What about the guy that needed to charge his phone? So he jumped on the stage because he saw a stage plug and thought that that was real. I can't even remember which show it was. That was real, uh, real electricity. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what are these people thinking? Mm. You know what? We've forgotten our public manners is what we've forgotten. We've forgotten that we are. In a community, we're going to have an, our own individual experience in a communal environment, and we're forgetting about the community. Yeah. People just assume all theater is immersive now, and they're going to immerse themselves in it. Now they're they're your property. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I've kicked programs off the stage. You know, I felt like what's that character in Blazing Saddles? Get your feet off the stage. Um, but I have I've had to kick programs off the stage going, wait a minute. And it's not about actors. It's about the audiences that are in the mezzanine and the balcony that are looking at the stage and they're seeing people's feet on the stage or they're seeing programs on the stage. So immediately they're taking out of the, they're taken out of the experience. There's a, you know, there's a barrier between the stage and the, and the audience and don't cross it unless you're coming to it into your heart with your heart and your mind and your emotions, not your feet. (laughs) (laughs) I, I want to say also, you're one of these people now who is such a bona fide legend that you intersect with what I would call um, almost old Broadway in a way, like the like what, who we now consider like the grand dames and stars of uh, musical theater in the past. Is there anybody who you just missed working with that you never got a chance to? That's like, God, for the rest of time, I'll never get to work with that person who ended up dying or whomever. Yeah, probably all of them. You know, I, um, yeah, lots of them. I never worked with Alan Rickman. Mm. Um, and he's brilliant on stage. First time I saw him was um, Les Liaisons Dangereuses with Lindsay Duncan. And I actually said, bring down the curtain. It's hot in here. Out loud. <laughs> 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 they were so sexy together. Um, 
I can't imagine what it would have been like working with Ethel Merman. I oh. and it would have been a trip just to have been her dresser. <laughs> just <laughs> assistant. Yes, Miss Merman. <laughs> that would have been up to be on stage with with um any of them would have been incredible. Um yeah, I you know, I'm 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 sorry that that um that those those that came before are now dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, of course they're dead, but yeah. you know what I mean. It, it, it was probably because back in the day, those I, I mean, I've heard this. So who knows? I think it's true. They would do eight shows a week, and then they'd go to the Twenty One Club, and then they'd have a party after the Twenty One Club. Yeah. And the Twenty One Club now closes at nine thirty, and it used to be. <laughs> What the hell's going on? But I mean, they would have parties. They would partay after the show and get up and do a show the next day. I feel like hologram technology will soon bring us the chance for you to work with Ethel Merman. I do think yeah. like whatever, a next war paint revival, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I saw the original. I saw the Roy Orbison, Maria Callas, and I didn't, I could not believe what I was seeing, especially Roy Orbison, because they kept sending him down to hell. <laughs> and then bringing him back up from hell. He would go down a trap door in the floor of the stage. I'm going, where's he going? He's going to hell. And then they bring him back up to sing again. And then he'd go back down to hell. I'm going, you couldn't like walk him off stage. He said, and then Maria Callas was pretty brilliant. They found some woman in Queens who looked like her. And they she practiced all of the movements. So it was almost as if you were watching Maria Callas for real with a full orchestra. It was the Roy Arborson that was crazy. It's like. <laughs> um, I had the distinct pleasure of. um some of my very first Broadway shows that I saw, um, you were in them. I saw the Sweeney Todd um, that you were in, uh, and I saw Gypsy uh, as well. And um, I have to wonder, you know, when you do film and television, you're able to revisit something, um, you know, just by looking at yourself like on a screen or something. When you've done like these iconic roles, you know, like even Evita, you know, like how do you revisit something if you want to, you know, um, relive some of the memories of the show? Or do you sort of, when you're done with a role, um, sort of like a legendary role, do you ever have any desire to be like, I'd like to listen to myself um, again, or, you know, just sort of like relive in that moment, you know? Yeah. And you know what? I've never heard any of my cast albums because I'm just not a big fan of me. Mm. I don't, I don't like to see myself on camera and I certainly don't like to listen to myself sing because I've just, I, I'm just not a big fan of me. And that's, that's not unusual. Uh, there's a lot of people that a lot of actors or singers that go, no, 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 I can't, I can't because we're just too critical. And I think mm-hmm. it not be healthy. Um, but I have, I, I would love to play Nellie Lovett again. I'd play Madame Rose again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I say that. But to go through it again, probably not. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, I so I don't revisit. Actually, I, I, you know what I've been singing a lot now is Joanna. I don't know, it's Joanna, ah. but I don't sing. Nelly doesn't sing Joanna. It's just such a mm. gorgeous piece of music. And um, I was listening to the original just to hear it again. Um, mm-hmm. It's um, Victor Garber and Len Cario. And yes, it's such a stunning piece of music. Uh, but I don't. Um, I don't revisit me. Mm-hmm. I think about it. I think about the experiences and, and the ones that were great. Um, 
I, I shed a tear for. And the ones that were bad, I shed a tear for. Um, there weren't very many bad ones, but but the ones, you know, all of that is, is you know, it's a subjective business. So we feel deeply. We say goodbye, sadly, to our compatriots. Um, people pass through us with every production they passed into our souls and then out again. I'm, I'm shedding tears for leaving um, Agatha in a minute, uh, Coven of Chaos, because I'm, it's such a great experience. And I'm very sad that I won't see, especially, I mean, the, the actresses and the actor that are involved in this are incredible. Um, and I will see them. I don't know if I'll work with them again, but I'm working with a pretty unique crew and a pretty unique production designer. And I know I won't work with them again. And I'm going, yeah. this experience has been so special it's so artistic and craftsman at the top of their game that i actually cried and i'm not wrapped yet but i actually cried mm -hmm. same thing with Bo. um yeah. Bo was afraid these people when they're at the top of their game when you're seeing everybody's commitment and talent and i'm going to just say this that that and i could cry right now we don't mm -hmm. mention the art artistry or artists enough in this country we mm -hmm. don't celebrate our American artists. And that includes the spectrum, the people that are on the other side of the camera or the other side of the footlights behind the curtain. And, and I'm not just talking about performers. I'm talking about the craftsmen that, that get us on stage, the special effects people, the DPs, the production designers, the costume designers. Um, we don't talk about them enough. And, and, I'm working with and have worked with extraordinary talent. It breaks my heart. So when you talk about, do I miss a production? I miss the cruise. I miss, I miss the whole experience, not just performing on stage, but what happens backstage, especially Gypsy. There's a family, the McDonough's, <laughs> because there's like a mafia of stagehands and the McDonough's own the St. James. I love the McDonough's. I used to have, um, what was that? What's that? It's not silly putty. It's a, it's cool whip or the whipped cream. I used to have whipped cream fights with Timmy McDonough <laughs> or Ron McDonough. I used to stand on my balcony and whenever I saw him, I used to spray it on him. And I mean, that kind of stuff would go on backstage during the show. You form these relationships that then are, are ripped from your heart and it breaks your heart. Hmm. I feel like you are always somebody who is described as refreshing, namely in interviews, you know, like, oh, thank God Patty Lapone said that or, you know, uh, gave voice to that. And, and this translates to your acting as well. But whenever somebody is called refreshing, I'm always wondering who is refreshing to them. Like you need that same relief, I feel like, from other people. And who are the people you like look to to be kind of like, I don't know, as rad and articulate as you are? Um, you guys. <laughs> oh, okay, go ahead. Yes. Oh, oh, amazing answer. How nice. Yes. Um, I, you know, anybody that really just speaks their mind that, you know, I just was on the view and I just said that there's no pushback now. What the hell is going on? We have to listen to lie upon lie upon lie upon and where there's no pushback. And so I'm living this insane life right now where I, I just don't understand. Are people too polite? Are they too lazy? Are they not hearing what I'm hearing? And why, you know, why aren't the New York City cops, if they didn't cry, why aren't they coming out and telling that asshole? Uh, no, nobody cried. 
why 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 are we not hearing that? And if they did cry, then tell me they cried, and then I'll know. Oh, he told the truth. The guy told the truth. Oh, thank God. One thing he told the truth. We're not hearing any pushback. Nobody's pushing back. I want to see people stand up and push back on anything, not just this bullshit, but on anything. If it's not a truth or if it's not your truth, speak your truth. But we're not. I don't know what's going on in this country right now where people are just going, I throw up my hands. Because what's going in is the first thing that's going to come out. You know what I mean? Out of my mouth, rather. And and I don't, I, 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 I just, I'm, I have PTSD in this country. I need to, I need relief from this. So I need people to speak up. So the people that are refreshing to me are the people that go, that's, you know, I'm going to speak up now. And I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, whether you want to believe it or not. That's the second time I've thought of Cher because one, she reminds me of that. But two, she also is not a fan of her own work. She's like, I don't want to listen to my own music. So anyway, you've you've conjured yeah. her memory twice now. I love Cher. <laughs> I send you my love, Cher. I love you. You know what I do. <laughs> oh, she does. God bless her. But there's not enough shares. You know what I mean? Right. There's got to be politicians that speak up. There's got to be, you know, everybody that has a voice needs to speak up. Somebody needs to speak up. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess lastly, you know, um, what is it that you feel like you still would love to accomplish on stage? Um, You know, whether that's through some behind the scenes work or a role that you feel like hasn't even been written yet for you, something that you're like dying to sink your teeth into. But when you think about, you know, your future in theater, um, where do you see yourself and what are you hoping for? I don't actually see myself in theater. Mm. I don't know. I mean, there is something that I'm curious to do. I mean, I've 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 offered I've I've been offered something that I would like to see happen, but I would not like to see it on Broadway. I would like to see it in a much more interesting place. I think mm. if I come back to the stage, I want it to be on East Fourth Street. Basically, it's time for me. Okay. To it's time for me to go downtown. Oh, it's time we for need me to do a Wooster Group show. <laughs> yeah, are you kidding me? But I, I'd rather do stuff that is not on Broadway right now, but it is in like an interesting mm-hmm. storefront. You know what I mean? This particular mm-hmm. play, they, the guy wants to do it in Washington D.C. at the you know a Democratic headquarters. Do it, do it, do it. Interesting audiences will show up. What I want to do more is is film. I want to. I would mm-hmm. love to do more film. I would love to do more films with people like Ari. Um, you know, really interesting stuff. And I would love to see vital women. Look at me. Right. I mean, I think I'm still vital at my age. I don't want to see an interpretation of a woman my age be some, you know, Italian grandma with a knitting needle over here and garlic over here. (laughs) God love them. Yes. Knitting needle over here and a garlic over here. (laughs) I mean, honestly, thank God for um, some of the amazing roles you've had from Ryan Murphy. I mean, your character in Pose was such a bitch, um, <laughs> but such a lovely um, role to like to see, you know, you as like a fun villainess on that show who was also, you know, a human being. What was her name? Um, Leona Helmsley? Uh, oh, it was... Um, I think you were Miss Norman on Pose. Yeah, but no, you, you were... Yeah. Based on yeah. Leona Helmsley. Oh, yes. Queen, <laughs> yeah. 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 It was. It, uh, yeah. Sometimes you wish it was Ryan wouldn't write better. <laughs> 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 but, 
<laughs> you know what I want? I want really great scripts. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what? We're interviewing Jordan Cooper, so I'm going to pass along uh, what you said. Please tell him. I was so blown away by his writing and by his acting and by how astute he was and what a soul he has. I mean, clearly, this is not the first time that kid's been around. He's mm-hmm. deep. He is deep. And that and I, I and I hope that that. If he's learned anything from this, he needs more control of his own properties and he needs to have a producer that's on, you know, boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking about Joey Parnes. Joey Parnes kept um, uh, Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder opened. Even they got fantastic reviews, as did Jordan, got fantastic reviews, but no mm-hmm. audience. He knew how to keep it open until the Tony season. And then when they went along and ran for three years, I mean, it's a it's a brutal environment. Uh, Broadway mm-hmm. for producers. It's brutal. And you just mm-hmm. have to really, you have to be a shark and you have to be smart. And as much as I love Lee Daniels, you can't be a producer in LA. Mm-hmm. It's on the ground. It's on the ground. Yeah. There's something just so, um, I saw it, I, I, I originally saw it in Los Angeles um, during a stage reading of it, um, like a few years ago. Um, and then to see it on stage. Uh, there's there's something in the air um, from audiences too rushing to see a show before it closes. Yeah, and heard it's fantastic. Yeah, um, but it was so sad having having everyone rushing to be see the show, knowing right. that it was closing in two weeks. Well, but also apparently COVID has changed how people buy tickets now. There's no advanced sales anymore, so mm. one has to figure out how to keep it going. That entire cast was extraordinary, extraordinary, and so how do you keep? How do, I mean, I'm, I'm not a producer. I'm, I'm an actor, but I look at them going, you got to know, you got to do better than this. You know, not not just that show, the shows that I've been in. You've got to do better than this. You've, you've got to. You've got to figure out how to do it. What is the What is the now? What's the template for for, you know, keeping a show running? It's different because of covid, but figure it out. Don't shut the show, especially that kind of a show where it needs to educate an audience. That that play was phenomenal. Jesus Christ. Thank, well, thank you, you so, so much, much for being here. Oh, my oh, God. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Some people just like radiate off you after you talk to them. I'm sure you get yeah. that a lot, but it's like, Oof, <laughs> all right, I, I know I'm going to put down this caffeine. I'm good. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you inspired me. <laughs> thank you uh, so well, much. Thank what you. a pleasure. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. What an honor. Uh, <laughs> have a great day. Yes. Thanks, you too. Can't wait to watch <laughs> the view. All right. Bye bye. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks again for listening to this bonus episode of Keep It uh, with the one and only Patti Lapone. Bo's Afraid is in theaters now, and uh, we'll see you next week for more Keep It. Don't forget to follow us at Cricket Media on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, that's me, and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. 
Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 